All I have is Christ. Boy, ain't that so true. It's good to pull those ears out, those ear monitors, and hear you guys singing. Such a blessing. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn with me to Acts 28. Today we are going to come to the last section in our study in the book of Acts. Began in July 21. And today we come to the last section. It's been a long journey through the book of Acts. But before we get to the last section, to read the last section in chapter 28 of the book of Acts, I want to remind you of how the book began and the storyline that we have walked through, through these 28 chapters. To do that, you don't have to turn there. We're going to stay in Acts 28. But I want to read to you Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, the very first uh, part of Acts that we read when we started back in July of 21. It says this, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. He presented Himself, Jesus did, alive to them after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them, to the disciples, during 40 days and speaking, look what he was speaking about, the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, look at the question they asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So in the beginning, the first chapter of Acts, for 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus taught His disciples about the kingdom of God. And before He ascends into heaven, they ask Him when He is going to restore the kingdom to Israel. He'd been teaching them about the kingdom of God, and they ask when He's going to restore the kingdom. So as Acts begins, and we talked about this when we were back in chapter 1, they're still looking for an earthly and geographic kingdom like Solomon's, where Israel and the temple would be God's center, God's dwelling place on earth. And if the nations were to come to God, uh, they would have to come there to Jerusalem. But Jesus told them, your focus is in the wrong place. Your focus is not to be on times and seasons that are in the Father's control. The nations aren't going to come to you. You're going to go to them. And in verse 8, we read he gives basically the outline of the book of Acts. And we followed that through. The disciples are to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as we've walked through chapter by chapter in the book of Acts, uh, we've seen that outline played out. Chapters 1 through 7, saw the disciples witness in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12, we saw the mission expand to greater Judea and to Samaria. And then from chapter 13 through 28, we followed the Apostle Paul and his mission to uh, the Gentiles, to the end of the earth, as many Gentile nations are evangelized. We followed the mission of his witnesses. We followed it through the first disciples there with Jesus on Acts chapter 1. We followed it through Philip. Through Stephen, through Peter, through Paul, we saw much opposition all the way through. Opposition to the gospel, opposition to the church, opposition to the mission of Christ. We saw the witnesses themselves experience much suffering 
and hardship and persecution. But we've also seen faithfulness in them as the Spirit of God empowered them to be the witnesses that Jesus called them to be. And today, we come to the end of the story. More accurately, it's the end of the beginning of the story. When we left off last time in verse 15 of Acts chapter 28, we, um, what we have been looking forward to for five or six chapters now has finally come to pass. Paul has finally made it to Rome. If you remember in chapter 23 in a cell in Jerusalem, after Paul had been mobbed and then arrested by the Romans, Jesus appeared to Paul and told him that he would go to Rome and that he would testify there as he testified in Jerusalem. That's chapter 23, verse 11. And we followed Paul through all the trials that he went through, through trials before two different Roman governors, Felix and Festus, before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, before King Agrippa. We followed him in two years of imprisonment in Caesarea and this disastrous sea voyage toward Rome that ended in shipwreck on the island of Malta. And through all of that trial and tribulation and persecution and uncertainty, we saw Paul holding on to the promise that you're going to get to Rome because Jesus has said so. You're going to testify there. And now, as we come to the end of chapter 28, he's finally here. He's made it. Jesus has kept his word. But today, as we see, as we examine what happens in Rome now that he's there, it's not the ending that we expect. It's not the ending that satisfies all our questions. But it is the ending that we need to be the church that is on mission for Christ. It is the ending that we need to be believers who are on mission, witnesses for Jesus Christ. It's the ending that we need if we're going to be faithful and effective witnesses that Jesus calls us to be. So the first thing I want you to see as Paul is now in Rome is that the message is our mission. We're going to read verses 16, or excuse me, verse 17 through 23. I didn't put 16 on the screen. 16 just said that he was under house arrest and he was chained to a guard. In verse 17, we're going to read all the way through 23, and then we'll come back and look at it. It says, after these days, he called together. He's in Rome now. He called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, do you see it? Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, when the Romans did, they wished to set me at liberty. They wanted to set me free because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against, look at it, my nation. It says, for this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we've received no letters from Judea about you and none of the brothers coming here have reported or spoken any evil about you, but we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, he's talking about Christianity, the way we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. And look, from morning till evening, he expounded to them. This is what he was saying. 
testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince, persuading them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So for the last half of this book that we've been studying, we have been building, especially since Paul's arrest, we've been building up to Paul's arrival at Rome. This is what Jesus promised. You'll go to Rome, you will testify there. That's what Paul held on to through all these trials, the word of Jesus, through all of his sufferings. And when he finally gets to the city and he's placed under house arrest, awaiting trial before Caesar, what's the first thing that he does? He summons the Jewish leaders of Rome to come and speak with him. Make sure you see this is not the church in Rome. We talked about them last week as they came out of the city to meet him. This is the leaders of the synagogues in Rome. He calls them to come and speak with him. Why? I mean, if there was anybody, if there was anybody that would be justified in just riding off the Jews there in Rome, going about his business, it would be Paul. It was the Jews in Jerusalem who were the reason that Paul's here in this predicament. He tells the Jews in Rome this, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't even be here. The Romans wanted to let me go. If it was up to the Roman governors or the King Agrippa, he'd be a free man right now. But he doesn't hold animosity toward these Jews. He calls them to himself because even here in Rome, under arrest and in chains, Paul is on the same mission that he's been on throughout the book of Acts. As we've walked through all of these chapters, Paul's pattern in every city. We've talked about it many times going through this book. Every time he came into a new city, what would he do first? He would go to the synagogue and he would begin evangelizing there. We've seen it over and over again. First place he would evangelize is the Jewish synagogue. His practice was to bring the gospel to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. And we see here, Paul still has a burden for the lost souls of his nation, of his kinsmen, of his people. In verse 17, when he addresses them, when he addresses these Jews in Rome, these Jewish leaders in Rome, he still calls them brothers. They're his kinsmen. He still says, though I did nothing against not your people, our people. I did nothing against the customs of our fathers. Paul still sees himself as a good Jewish follower of the one true God. But he also knows that in, in verse 20, he says this, that he has the hope of Israel. He said, it's because of the hope of Israel that I wear this chain. He has the hope, the message of hope that Israel has waited for, that they've longed for, that has long been prophesied. He has the message of life. And that message is Israel's hope. And so when he finally gets to Rome, his destination, Jesus said, you're going to go there and you're going to testify. He doesn't just lay back and relax and wait and see what happens. You know, this whole trial thing's going on. Let's see what happens. Let's see if I'm vindicated. And then, you know, then I'll pick up the mission after that. No, he doesn't wait until everything's settled. Even in the midst of his trial, in the midst of his uncertainty, in the midst of waiting for Caesar to hear his case, which is going to take another two years, he continues the mission of Christ. He calls the Jews of the city to speak with him, and he does so in order to be the witness that Jesus has commanded him to be, commanded all the disciples to be, even while he's under house arrest. 
And after, after first he runs down kind of what happened, how he got to Rome, how, why he's wearing this chain, all the things that happened. Then Paul gives them the message. In verse 23, it says, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him, greater numbers. And look what it says, from morning till evening. You think I preached a long time? No. From morning to evening, he expounded to them. And this is what he was preaching, testifying to the kingdom of God, and persuading, trying to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. That's what Acts is all about. The kingdom of God has come in Jesus Christ. And Paul shows them Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Jesus is what the whole Bible is about. Right now, on Wednesday night, we go through books of the Old Testament, just like on Sunday morning, we go through books of the New Testament. We've gone through Habakkuk and Joel and and Job and Genesis. And right now we're going through Exodus and we see the gospel. We see Jesus Christ in all of the Old Testament, the law of Moses and the prophets. Jesus is the message. The gospel is the point. God's redemptive plan. It's the fulfillment of all of his word. Paul was literally brutalized and rejected for years by the Jewish people in every city that he went to. But when he got to Rome, he still called for them because he has the message they need. His people, his kinsmen, his nation. And the message is the mission. In chapter 1, verse 8, which we read just a moment ago, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. You will give my message. And that's what Paul does here in Rome. Today, the mission is the same. You will be my witnesses. You will make disciples of every nation. It is the message of the kingdom of God. We talked about it last week. The kingdom is here and the kingdom is also coming. The new heavens and the new earth await. And the gospel is the, gospel is the message of God that redeems sinners into this kingdom. Jesus commanded His people, His church, us, to make disciples of all nations. We are to evangelize the lost as well as equip and disciple one another. That's what Acts is all about. That's what the whole Bible is all about. That's what God's purpose in this world is all about. So that's what we must be about. There's no room for distractions, no room for being self-focused. My way, my pleasure, my comfort, my everything. Paul wasn't. Even under house arrest, even waiting, awaiting trial, although his house arrest was not like a prison that he would be in later, he called for the, the Jews because he was on mission still. Church, we are his witnesses to make disciples. And when we understand this, we need to be on mission at all times. In our schools, in our homes. We are to be witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to be witnesses to our husbands, our wives, our children, our neighbors. We are to be witnesses to what Jesus has done in our life and who He is and what He has commanded. And as we go about doing that, we also need to see that this message that we carry, this message that is our mission, it is always divisive and it's always going to be rejected. He says, after Paul is... Witnessing to them, he's telling them about the kingdom, testifying, trying to convince them about Jesus from the scriptures. It says some of them were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. 
and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. And here's the statement. The Holy Spirit, he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts in turn and I would heal them. Then Paul says to them, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God, that's what he's talking about, the kingdom of God, persuading of Jesus Christ, and he says this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Now when we come to the ending of this great narrative of Acts, like any good ending to any good story, we want resolution, don't we? We want an appropriate ending that ties up all the loose ends, answers all the questions. I mean, that's what good stories are supposed to do. We want vindication for Christ's messenger after all the stuff that he's been through. We want the acknowledgement of the wrongs that he's suffered, that he's had to endure. We want a happy ending. We want Paul to get to his destination through all this suffering, through all this trial, and we want to see the goal reached. We want to see people, all the people come to Jesus and embrace this message so we know that Paul's suffering and his trials have been worth it. Where is the part where everyone trusts the Savior and is saved and is by faith in Jesus and everybody lives happily ever after and all's right with the world? I mean, come on, Luke, have you never seen a Christian movie? That's how they end. That's how they all end. But that's not the story of Acts. That's not our story either. Jesus promised Paul that he would get to Rome and that he would testify there as a witness. And when he finally makes it there, through much toil, through much tribulation, persecution, imprisonment, pain, and suffering, when he finally gets to the place that Jesus called him to be, the exact same thing happens here as happened in every other city that he testified. Some people believe, but the majority of the Jews, his people, did not. Paul's witness is largely rejected again. This is supposed to be the ending of this grand story of the beginning of God's church? What kind of ending is that? Believer, it's the kind of ending you're going to face every day on mission. It's the kind of result that God himself already told us would happen. As they reject the gospel, most of them anyway, Paul quotes to them Isaiah 6 verses 9 through 10. In Isaiah 6, that's most of you have probably read it. That's the one that begins in the year of King Uzziah, saw the Lord high and lifted up. That's God commissioning Isaiah as his messenger to speak his word to the people of Israel. He's sending Isaiah with a message. But before Isaiah even gets out the door, God tells, them, I'm, God tells him, I'm sending you, but nobody's going to listen to you. You're going to be my messenger. You're going to face rejection and scorn and rebellion and hatred because you are my messenger. And every time you give my word, there will be people with dull hearts and ears that won't hear and eyes that won't see. And you know what, Isaiah? I'm sending, them, I'm sending you to them anyway. Paul quotes this passage in Isaiah 
definitely as a declaration of judgment on the hearers that came to him that day that were leaving. He said, it's right that God prophesied of your father saying this. Speak to my people, though their ears are dull and their eyes can't see. But in this quote, as he quotes Isaiah 6, you really catch this glimpse here of how Paul sees his own ministry. Just like Isaiah, he's been given a message, the message, the message of God, knowing that it will divide people. Some will believe, some will not. Knowing that it will be not received by many people. Paul came all this way to Rome because Jesus sent him. Knowing that he carried a message that would largely be rejected. We need to be ready for that fact. That's always the case for Christ's witnesses. And we shouldn't be surprised that our message divides and is rejected by people. Jesus told us the very same thing in Matthew chapter 10. He said, do not think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. He's talking about those who follow him and those who don't and the separation that happens because of it. Today in our world, I mean, people are finding ever increasing ways to categorize people and pit different categories of people against each other. There are only two kinds of people in the world, lost and saved. That's it. And there's the distinctions that make up the differences between us in the rest of the areas, whether it's, whether it's our background or our skin color. or what, those, don't, those don't matter at all. We're all human beings created in the image of God. The only separation between uh, anyone in this world is saved or lost. And that has to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need, as His witnesses, to be ready for that result. Because our mission is to be faithful, to give the message. That's it. We can't adjust this message or alter God's word to make it more palatable for a lost and dying world to receive or to embrace. We can't drown this clear message of God with nuance so people will more adequately receive it and not have to change convictions about reality and sin and righteousness. We can't mix this message with worldly language and categories. Today, we're sent out on a mission with a message knowing beforehand that our message is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. We need to know that until God opens hearts, they're not going to receive it. Our mission, which we see the beginning of, the beginning of the church in the book of Acts, is simply to be faithful to God's calling and His message. To witness, to be His witness where He places us. And to make disciples. And when this message is rejected, and it will be, we need not feel defeated or discouraged. We need not, we cannot cower back in fear and doubt because we're just not able to convince people. We move on to the next person and continue to be faithful. You see what Paul says? Well, I guess you don't. I ain't put it up there. Verse 28. Listen, rightly did Isaiah prophesy about your fathers. He gives them the quote from Isaiah 6. And then he says, therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. 
You guys won't listen? I'll go to the Gentiles. There will always be rejection, rebellion, persecution, disdain for the gospel until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our God. The message will always be offensive. It will always be rejected by the world. That's a fact of Scripture. It's a fact of history. And I'd wager it's a fact in your own experience as well. But we also must understand this, that this message is our mission. This message is divisive. But this message is never going to be silenced. The last two verses of the book of Acts, he says, He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And this is how the book of Acts ends. Now, when you read that, when you read that ending, you might think, you know, Luke probably could have benefited from a, benefited from a storytelling class or something. I mean, Luke wrote this well after the events. He... he, he he, could have, he left out things he could have included. Why doesn't he tie up all the loose ends? What happened to Paul? Did he ever stand before Caesar? What happened at the trial? Who said what? Was he vindicated? Was he released? What did the church in Rome do during all this time, these two years that he was witnessing there to whoever would come to him? Did Paul continue his ministry efforts later? We can see some of that in the epistles. How did Paul ultimately die in Acts? In the book of Acts, we're given none of those answers. And the reason that we feel so unfulfilled, like we're not got the whole story by the way Acts ends, is because we're focusing on the wrong storyline. We're focusing on the wrong character, and we're focusing on the wrong point. The story of Acts is not about Paul. It's not about Peter. It's not even about the apostles. It's about Jesus moving the gospel forward. You remember the first verses in the book of Acts that we read just a moment ago? It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. When he talks about the first book, he means the gospel of Luke. He says Luke's gospel, the gospel that he wrote before this one, was what Jesus began to do and teach. Meaning that Acts, which is Luke volume 2, is what Jesus continued to do and teach. Only now, He's working by the Spirit through His apostles, through His church. If we focus on that story, this is a perfect ending to the book. Because this story is still continuing today. It doesn't matter what happens to the messenger. It doesn't matter if Paul was vindicated in this life. He is vindicated now in the presence of God forever. This story is not about the life and the exploits of Paul. This story is about Jesus using His people to bring His gospel to the world. That gospel is still going forward today. And it always will until Jesus Christ returns. These, these last verses, these last two verses, tells us that Paul was preaching as people came to him in Rome over this two-year period. And look what he preached. He preached the kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to all who came to him. The same two themes we saw at the beginning of Acts in chapter 1 and the same two themes we've been walking through all through Acts. And he says the gospel was preached there in Rome for those two years with boldness and without hindrance. The last word in the Greek text is unhindered. Paul was on mission for Christ, even under guard. 
even in prison, even waiting, awaiting trial before Caesar, even facing this rejection that he just got from his own people. This is a perfect ending to that story. The message continues on. The gospel still continues on. Listen, there is so much, so much going on in the world today. There are wars and politics and a culture that's shifting radically under our feet. Every few weeks, a new culture shift happens. The time when, when language itself is being weaponized and distorted for wicked purposes. People affirming things today that are just insane. And you know, we look at those things and we look at the culture and we look at the way things seem to be, the direction they seem to be going. It's, it's fearful. It's, it's worrisome. And several people have asked over the last three or four weeks, what do we do? You know what we do? We make disciples. It's never more important. It's never been more important than it is now, even if it is headed in that direction. There may come a day in this country, it's not here yet, praise God, but there may come a day at this time in history in Mulvane, Kansas, when the proclamation of the true gospel of God's clear commands won't be allowed in the public square. A time when persecution, I'm talking about real persecution, comes for anyone who is a witness for Jesus, the real biblical Jesus, not the woke hippie Jesus that is being pushed today. I certainly don't look forward to persecution, of course. I don't welcome being marginalized as a Christian in society. But we need to know that even if that day comes upon us in our lifetime, the gospel will never be silenced. The more you persecute us, the more it will spread. The more you attempt to stamp it out, the more it will be proclaimed. Nothing, nothing will hinder the gospel from going forward. Not until the end when Jesus returns. No power of hell, no strength of man can do it. Around around 200, late 100s, early 200s, there's a man named Tertullian who quoted this line that I'm sure you've all heard. It said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. If it's to come and it's God's will, let it come. The gospel will not be hindered. The gospel will go forth in power. Jesus told us the gates of hell won't prevail against his church. Our mission is the message. That message is that all people have sinned against a holy God. And our works, our good living, our right behavior, our religious activities and our ceremonies and all of the things that we do cannot undo not a single sin. And any sinner standing before a holy God is condemned and there's nothing that you can do about it. But God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God, the eternal Son, took upon Himself the nature of man, entered into His own creation, lived perfectly and righteously according to the law of God, and He gave that perfect life in the place of sinners as a substitute to pay the debt that we owe. And those who repent of their sin and trust in this Jesus are united with Him in His righteousness so that His righteousness is applied to our account. And those who are born again are redeemed before a holy God to live eternally with Him in a new heavens and a new earth, the kingdom of God fully come.
And there is nothing, there is nothing that can stand in the way of that. Nothing. If you've been born again, believer, there's never going to be a time in this life or the next where you will face punishment or condemnation for your sin. It is taken away as far as the east is from the west and atoned for by the death of God's own Son as both God and man. He poured, the Father poured His wrath out on His own Son. That message is our mission. That message is not just the basics of Christianity. Christianity 101, we learned that in vacation Bible school. Now give me the meat. That's ridiculous. That's the foundation of everything. It's the foundation of our discipleship. And we, as believers in Christ, we need to preach that message to ourselves, Not just to evangelize the lost, but to preach it to ourselves. I need to preach that to myself when my heart tells me, no, 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 you're not doing good enough. I know I'm not doing good enough. I need to preach that to myself when, when sin and the world and the flesh are attacking me. No, I have a victory that is greater than all those things. We need to preach this message to ourselves. This message is our mission. It's our very life. Jesus Christ is the center of not only evangelism and seeing the lost come to be saved, but it's the center of our life in discipleship, growing as people of God. This message is our mission. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Some will be made to bow in judgment and confess that, yeah, you are Lord. As all their sin is weighed against them and justice is served and they're separated from God for all eternity. And some will bow today by grace through faith, entrusting their souls to the King of Kings, receiving Jesus and the payment for their sin, the forgiveness of their sin, the righteousness of God Himself. Which will you be? You will bow. Which will you be? Let's pray. Father, we do love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Acts, God, and we thank you for the gospel. God, I pray that you would, you would just enliven our hearts with this message, this truth, this reality that Jesus is all in all. The gospel of our salvation is the center of everything. It's the hub around which our whole life turns. Help us as believers, God, not to be distracted. Not to be caught up in our own flesh, what my own flesh wants. Not to be caught up in the things of the world, which is so easy to do. God, help us to preach this message to ourselves each and every day. And to be faithful witnesses. We can't do it on our own. God, we can't do it in our own strength. We're frail. We are completely dependent upon you. We don't have the will, the determination. We don't have the commitment to even offer you. You must do it in us. God, we pray that you would come and that your spirit would empower us to be the witnesses that you've called us to be as you empowered those first disciples to be the witnesses you've called them to be. And if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, God, I pray that you would call upon them. If there's anyone here that has 
unrepented sin in their life. God, I pray that you would call upon them today, that you would show them the picture of the cross, that you would show them what you did for them. And that sin, all sin, every sin, can be washed away. And that invitation, Jesus, that you gave, that said, come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, holds true today. God, I pray that they would call upon your name, that they would trust in Jesus, and that they would be saved today. Lord, we thank you, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As always, I'm going to stand right down here at the front. I would love if you come. I'd love to pray with you. Will you stand with me?